Welcome to Grace Point this fine spring morning. Amen. You know, yesterday, I don't know how you are doing with this winter thing that never ends. Uh, I got fed up with it yesterday, so I went to my backyard and hit golf balls for about an hour in uh, wiffle balls, not just, uh, and I thought, ah, this is nice in my shaded or, you know, my contained little area where the sun was shining and it's 35 degrees out. I thought about rollerblading yesterday because I thought then I could say I rollerbladed on Saturday and I cross-country skied on Sunday. Only in South Dakota or North Dakota can you do that. You think it's bad, listen to this. One day in North Dakota, it was 80 degrees in the morning and by, by sunset, it was 20 degrees. We lost 60 degrees in one day and I thought, what in the world is that? So... There's always somebody worse, amen? Uh, I'm excited about uh, this morning and that we can kick off a new series uh, today. It's entitled Here to There. Um, this year we've been focused on this uh, theme of being intentional and this, this series continues to focus on this intentional theme. And what we're trying to accomplish in this series where we're going to go from here to there is how do we go from an attitude that's not so Christ-like to an attitude that's very Christ-like in our lives? How do we exhibit Christ in all areas and all ways of our lives? Um, I love Philippians chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 8. Listen to this scripture. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in this Here to There series, our goal is to become ones who have the attitude of Jesus Christ. And I think God um, gives us life journeys that have that uh, purpose, the destiny in mind, if we'll begin to see our lives a little bit differently. Uh, you ever take a long trip? Anybody ever take a long trip in here? Come on, you live in South Dakota. If you're going to go anywhere, you've got to take a long trip, right? The only place worse is northwest North Dakota. Everything was like 10 hours away. People developed certain methodologies for, you know, surviving long trips. I remember one college student that Vicky and I became real close to when we were here in the 1990s, and I was an assistant on staff here. Um, <clears throat> he would travel home a lot to Murdoch um, in South Dakota, and here's the way, way he would, would get home and stay awake, he usually left late at night too. He would drink as much as this as possible. What is this? Mountain Dew. He would drink like a liter of this stuff. Then he would not allow himself to go to the bathroom until he absolutely couldn't take it anymore. And then he would go to the bathroom and he would start the process all over again and drink another liter of Mountain Dew. And I remember him sharing this with me as his technique for staying awake. He says, I'm always really alert when I do that. And I'm going, aren't you a recipient of higher education? What are you thinking? This is terrible hard on your body, your kidneys and all that kind of thing. You know, sure it works, but really, that's not the way I would do it. <clears throat> I have a different methodology for, for trying to survive long trips. I like to break them into segments. So a couple weeks ago, we went to Liz's house and Bruce, her husband, he counts too, um, down in Lincoln, Nebraska. So I think of the trip this way. First leg, we get to Sioux City. All right, we're about a third of the way there. Second leg, we get to Omaha. And now we're getting more than halfway there. And then the last leg is to Lincoln. So I kind of mentally break the trip up into segments. Anybody else do that? 
Otherwise, I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. And when you travel in the Dakotas or Wyoming or Montana, you got to feel like you're getting someplace, right? Because sometimes there's not a lot of landscape there. It's just kind of straight road for a long ways. This uh, journey we're going to embark upon today called Here to There, it's 17 weeks long. It's a long it's a long trip we're going to take in this series. And we're going to divide this into four main segments. That, and so I want to give you the landmarks, the pins, so to speak, if you're a Google Map guy, of, of where you're going uh, here. The first three weeks, we're going to, we're going to talk on um, what happens when everything in your world changes. And that's going to take us about uh, three weeks into this series. Then after that, we're going to talk about having a heart for God. For five weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about this inner work that God always wants to do in the life of the follower. That's going to get us about halfway through our trip here in the Here to There series. Then after that, we're going to talk about prevailing faith. How do you have faith that overcomes obstacles in your life that stands against these things that would seek to defeat you? And once we get through that, we're going to be three quarters of the way through our trip from here to there. And lastly, we're going to talk about adversity, friend or foe. How do we turn adversity from a foe into a friend? Once we do that, we'll complete this series entitled uh, Here to There. Um, so it's kind of a long journey that we're beginning here to take today, but um, I think, you know, breaking into these landmarks, and it'll, it'll be helpful for you to kind of stay on track with what's, what's going on. So this morning, we're going to begin <clears throat> with um, this key question. What do you do? When your world turns upside down, what do you do when your world turns upside down? What do you do when you lose your job? What do you do when you're diagnosed with some kind of severe illness? What do you do when your money runs out or you're low on funds? What do you do when everything you've been counting on is now um, seeming to unravel? What do you do when just normal life changes happen? Like you graduate from high school or you graduate from college and you know your life was this way and now it's this way and everything is changing for you. What do you do when your world turns upside down? It's not necessarily bad. Sometimes just changes. Sometimes there's a career move. Sometimes you know there's a physical location change or whatever be the case. What do you do when this kind of thing happens? The Israelites went through a huge moment of having the world turned upside down. When a renowned leader and king died, Isaiah chapter 6 talks about this ever so briefly. It begins this way, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, a simple reading of that doesn't do justice to that event and what that event implied. Uzziah had been a stabilizing factor in the lives of the Israelites for a long time, he had ruled in Jerusalem for 50 years. And we have a hard time understanding this kind of thing because we don't live in that kind of culture. In fact, um, if you kind of look at the presidents that have been in office for the last 50 years, the list goes something like this. Now, I might forget a president. If you're better than me, don't tell me. Just let me live in ignorance, okay? We had Barack Obama. Before that, George Bush, Jr., Bill Clinton, George Bush Sr., Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon, Lyndon Johnson, and then we're done. Someone told me that Kennedy doesn't count. That's too many years, first hour. I said, you're actually counting the years up, huh? Yeah, okay, good. Um, so anyway, I won't go to Dwight Eisenhower either. He doesn't count either. Anyway, Uzziah's 
kingdom spanned all these men's presidencies. That's a long time, isn't it? That's a long time. And, and, and length wasn't the only legacy that this king left when he died. He was a remarkable leader. He was a remarkable leader. He was a military genius who built an army of more than 300,000 soldiers. The Bible says he built machines designed by skillful men to shoot arrows and sling big rocks. That was cutting-edge technology back then. Under him, the arch enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines, were defeated. He was also a builder of the economy. He built cisterns that, 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 that gathered water and helped develop the economy of the Israelites. And he was a spiritual leader that the Bible says uh, did right in the eyes of the Lord. He was only less than King David and King Solomon in the Israelites' eyes. Most of the people of Judah didn't know anything else but the reign of King Uzziah, when he died, he'd been there so long. He was an anchor of a nation. He was a source of confidence. He's now dead. And you have this emerging power, the Assyrians, and they're gobbling up little nations like Judah. What do you do when Uzziah dies in your life? What do you do when your world turns upside down? Listen as I read Isaiah chapter 6 now. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And we're going to begin to answer that question. What do you do when your world turns upside down. Now remember the goal of each one of these messages that we're going to share over the next 17, 17 weeks. I was going to say 17 years. That would be a long time. Anyway, is to get from here to there. How do I get to this place where I'm exhibiting the attitude of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? So here we go. Listen to the scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the world as Isaiah knew it came to an end. And here's what in what's so interesting here. It drove him to a closer revelation of God. It, it drove him to God. So what do you do when your world turns upside down? You allow it to drive you closer to God. That's what you do. You allow it to drive you closer to God. We humans easily lose focus. And oftentimes God allows something to happen in our lives to refocus us. This is not a trick question at all. What do I have in my hand? Anybody see it? It's a remote to a TV. This thing has changed our lives, hasn't it? Now I can sit on my couch and I can channel surf. If I don't like something, I can hit this. I, I can, and I do it all the time when I have it because I don't want to, I get bored of the channel. I'll change, I'll change, I'll change, I'll change. Uh, they've done studies, by the way, that this thing is causing, you know, people to lose their attention spans and to be uh, ones who are feeling isolated and passive. But I'm going to tell you what, it's not this thing that's the problem, it's what it's connected to that's the problem. You can put this down. I remember, though, when I was a kid, we didn't have these. Any of you remember that? We had kids that Dad told to turn the channel, the TV off. <laughs> Steve, get up, turn the channel. Okay. Not that channel, the other way, you know what I mean? It was, I was... My dad's remote there for a few years. Um, but, but what happens when, when a major event comes into your life that changes your world is it tends to what? 
refocus you a little bit and open you up and give you more receptivity uh, to God. And so this happened to Isaiah. His world had changed. It drove him to God. And this is point two now. It, it, this, you, you need to look for a deeper revelation of God. He, he saw God in a deeper, more meaningful way. It was like God was saying to, 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 to Isaiah, look past what you thought you had in Uzziah. Look past that. See me for who I am. Get a glimpse of my being, my holiness. That, that, that whole theme of holiness is in all three of these verses that are, uh, begin Isaiah chapter 6. The Lord is seated high on a throne, exalted and lifted up. Did you notice that the seraphs covered their face? Which, in other words, their eyes were covered. Uh, they, were, they couldn't even look on the glory and the holiness of God. He's so holy because their eyes were covered. Did you notice that their feet were covered also? Back in... in, in the times of the Bible here, when this was penned, um, feet were a, a sign of, of earthiness, of being connected to the earth. It, it was, it was it connected people, feet connected people to the ground. Covering them was a sign, was a sign of reverence and honor. So there's all this symbolism happening here, as well as the words being spoken of, of God's greatness and majesty. And then we get to verse 3. And they cry out what? Holy, holy, holy. Three times. Do you ever wonder why there's this repetition? Partly because in the ancient Hebrew language, they didn't have punctuation like we have. And when I researched this a little bit more, they really didn't have vowels in their language at that time either. That came later on. Um, they had a written consonant kind of language and they just filled in the gaps when they would speak they would just fill in in the vowels in fact i have an exercise for us it's going to appear below my picture over here read this out loud with me what does that say love the lord your god with all your heart you, you could be an ancient hebrew amen you naturally just kind of do that you fill you fill in the missing sounds right and that's what they kind of did with their 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 ancient language now when they were being dispersed about 600 AD, it is thought that, they, that the scribes begin to add a lots of vowels to the language so that the language wouldn't be lost. But in ancient times, it was a kind of a simple, I kind of like it as a language. Ha, I can't spell with a hoot. This is my kind of language. Just drop half of it out and I'll do good. And then there's no punctuation. I'll even do better. And how do you punctuate something when there's no punctuation? You repeat it. You repeat it to make the point. Jesus' teaching said, truly, truly. Oh, there's twice. And what he's saying is, listen to me, listen to me closely now. Truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, it's supposed to grab your attention. And here, in this section of scripture, we see something that doesn't happen very often in the Bible. Three times the word is repeated. God is what? Holy, holy, holy. Big point is being made about who God is. I find it fascinating that we don't hear Scripture say God is love, 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 or just, 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 or compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. He's all those things, isn't he? But here in this Scripture, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he's holy, holy, holy. This is incredibly important to get. And, and this brings us to the next point. When Isaiah had his known world stripped away, God wanted him to see that when all is said and done, the most important thing he could see is the majestic holiness, the majestic holiness of the Almighty God. It's a challenge to define holiness. 
I think oftentimes we think of it as moral purity. Yeah. But when it refers to God, it's more than moral purity and more than perfection. It means to be set apart. Something wholly other. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy other. There is nothing, no one like God. That's what that holy reference means. He is unique, one of a kind. There is no one, no person, nothing comparable uh, to God. Imagine it this way. Imagine uh, the most awe-inspiring moment of your life. Imagine you're looking at that mountain. Uh, maybe it's the bottom of the Grand Tetons. Maybe you're looking at the coast and you're seeing the ocean and it just takes your breath away. Maybe you're seeing someone do the most majestic athletic endeavor you've ever imagined in your life. Maybe you've done a machine design or something, and you're looking at that thinking, wow, look at that. Or, you know, maybe it's just somebody that you're really in love with, and you think they're beautiful. If they're a guy, hopefully you think they're handsome. And, you know, on and on I could go here. Take that kind of thought, multiply it by infinity, multiply it by a thousand, multiply it by a hundred, whatever you want to do there. And then, then you're starting to get to the point of what this holiness of God is supposed to do and how it's supposed to impact you. It's just supposed to go, you're supposed to go, ah, oh! you're supposed to take your breath away. God is holy, holy, holy. He's eternally self-sufficient. He's brilliant beyond comprehension. He's transcendent. He's perfection. He's holy, holy, holy. I think a besetting sin of our times, and not necessarily just our times, is the casualness that God has approached with. Now, I understand what we're trying to do is, is make God approachable. You know, you know, he's Abba, Daddy God, right? And we kind of want to make God approachable to folk. But what we, I think, unintentionally can do here is make him way too common. He's, there's nothing common about God. Nothing common about him at all. We never should treat him like a benign, grandfatherly figure who we can manipulate and control. We better not do that. Because that's not God. It's not God at all. And that's God that Isaiah ran into, this God that just set him down. And he goes, whoa. This is the holy, holy, holy God. So here's our application. To have an attitude like Jesus. Now remember, we're going from here to there throughout the series. Here to there. To have an attitude like Jesus, you must move from a casual commitment to God to a devoted reverent commitment to God. Doesn't mean that you can't be friendly with God, you can't be familiar with God, you can't call him father, you can't call him daddy, amen, but you should have this deep reverence for who God is. You should be devoted to him. Jesus Christ was devoted to the Father, amen? And our attitude begins to look like Jesus when we have that same kind of devotion. If we really begin to understand who God is and what his nature is all about in life, we're not going to approach God like we may have approached him before. We're not going to say, well, if I have time, uh, I'll do this God thing. If, I, if it's convenient, if I like the style, when I get around to it, that language will, will cease. It won't be there anymore. We won't drift in and out of God like we're channel surfing, right? We won't do that because he's holy, holy, holy. When we see God for who he is, We'll come with our whole person before him. We'll quit playing games with him. We'll quit rationalizing uh, a way why I don't follow God. We'll quit looking for loopholes to justify disobedience. We'll sing with all of our heart, even if we don't like the music or the song, because it's about praising God. 
It's about praising God. Amen? There, there's going to be these moments where you just, can't, you just can't contain it and you're just going to say it out loud. I love you, Lord. You're just going to exalt his holy name. And we'll listen with intensity to God's word, knowing that God wants to speak wisdom to our hearts because he's holy, holy, holy. We'll set aside distractions and we'll strain with all our strength to see God high and exalted and lifted up. We'll stand in awe of his majestic glory and we'll respond to him with our voices and with our bodies and with our hearts and all that is in us. Would you stand with me? We're going to do a worship reading out loud. This is a little different today, so you can just stand. You're getting way too comfortable. I want you to read this out loud with me, and then we're going to take a moment, and we're going to actually sing a worship song here in the middle of service, all right? That'll get your blood pumping again. So here we go. Read this out loud with me, please. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Exalt the Lord your God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Um, but you know what? I, I, I remember my daughter Liz went to uh, Bethany Missions College here in the Twin Cities, very international place. And... Um, she was telling me about some of the worship experiences she had there. And she said, uh, one thing I've learned about this college, Dad, is they take the songs very literally. I said, what? When it says, you know, get down on your face before God, the whole place goes, kaboom, down on their face. When it says clap, they're all clapping. When they're dancing, they're all dancing. When, when they're jumping, they're all jumping. I can jump, right? You know what I mean? And she said, whatever the song says, they just do it. I said, oh, what do you think of that? She said, kind of like it. So, at any rate, that's my coaching moment. Let's move on here in Isaiah. As great as everything as we've talked about thus far, when your world turns upside down, something else needs to transpire. And that's what we're going to get to next year, verses 4 through 7 uh, of Isaiah 6. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Something marvelous happens to Isaiah here uh, because he got a greater revelation of God. Um, when your world is turned upside down and you're driven to trust God more and get a deeper revelation of God, um, he does something deep and transformative in your life. He, he's going to address some things maybe that you didn't even know uh, uh, were a, a problem. See, we humans have this amazing ability to downplay our sinfulness and our weaknesses and our disobedience. And oftentimes when our world is turned upside down, we're kind of laid bare before the Lord God. Amen? And all of a sudden we're, we're seeing some things we ought to have seen before this happened to us. And that's what happens to Isaiah. He sees the holiness of God. He says, whoa, I'm undone. Man, I'm not, I'm not a clean person. And I live among people who are not very clean. Um, and, and, and God used his turning of his world upside down uh, to get him to see who he was. Now listen, listen. When this is going on, and this is point three, uh, you do not downplay then. Do not downplay your sin or weakness. Let it get addressed. Let God do a deep work in you. Don't downplay it. Imagine this with me for a moment. Imagine you're a mom or dad and you have a teenage boy. For some of you, that doesn't take any imagination at all because that's your life. You give the boy your car keys and he's going to go out that night and you tell him he's 16, so that's always a scary age with a boy in a car. 
to, to be careful, right? And I know I had some of those conversations with my boys. So he goes out and he runs into a light pole and scrapes alongside a light pole in the parking lot with the car. Well, fear now just has captured that boy's heart. He gets out and it's dark. And he looks and says, that's not that bad. It's just a little scratch. He gets home and in his mind, because it's full of fear and it's full of the admonition of his father, he says to dad, you know, I, I just, I, 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 I scratched the car a little bit last night. I don't think it's a big deal. But then the next day comes around and it's the light of day. And you take that car into the body shop, and the body shop mechanic doesn't have the same opinion as the son had. He says, and whenever one of those guys go, that just means you're in trouble. Going to have to replace a couple fenders here, and this is a pretty bad dent. What in the world did he do? You know? And the light of day brought to, to revelation what the darkness had hidden. And that's a lot of times how these things that turn our world upside down are tools that God uses in our light. Things that were formerly kind of hidden in the darkness of our light and we maybe didn't really see it. Now when we have this life-changing moment where our, where our world turns upside down, all of a sudden we see with clarity some things we didn't see before because we see the light of it. We see in the light of God's holiness and we go, oh, this is a big deal to you, God, isn't it? I don't think it was a big deal, but it is a big deal. And that is a prime moment to experience transformative power and cleansing the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't downplay your sin or weakness. Oftentimes, the reason our worlds are turned upside down are for this very kind of thing to be addressed in our lives. Amen? Don't downplay that kind of thing. Isaiah stepped into the light of God's holiness. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. The seraph takes a coal out of the fire of the altar with tongs and takes it in his hand and he starts going towards what? Isaiah's lips. Have you ever kissed the coal? Come on, think on that. Would you do that? Ah, pain, right? And I think we're supposed to understand that this self-awareness and this, this self-revelation that Isaiah had and this willingness to repent and be touched by God, it's a painful thing. It's really painful sometimes, isn't it? To, to admit who you really are and to admit that you really need Jesus Christ desperately. And the, the, the seraph flies to, to, to Isaiah and touches his mouth, and, and, he's, and he's clean. But, you know, it's not something I think that occurred without some hurt and some pain. The goal of God is not necessarily to keep us from experiencing pain, to spare us from pain, but to redeem us and to remake us and to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remorse and godly sorrow over sin is an important part of that process of having the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. The more we know God and the deeper we get into God, the more we should understand this and the more sorrowful we should be over our discrepancy between who God is and who we are and the more we should be reliant upon Jesus Christ. See, I think sometimes the more we mature in Jesus, the more I think people think, well, I'm there, I'm arrived, no problem. No, no, the more you know Jesus, the more you know you're not where you're supposed to be. And the more you're dependent on Jesus Christ, and the more this godly sorrow is working in your repentant heart, amen? And that's what's supposed to transpire. And so rather than running from, from our sinfulness, the truth being taught here is confess it. Own up to it. And let God do a deep cleansing work in you. So here's our application what do you need to repent of this morning? Are you driven by image? Each town tends to have, I call, besetting problems. When we lived in 
Williston, North Dakota, theirs was independence. My goodness, those people were independent. You know, that frontier kind of attitude. And I suppose if you're going to live in northwest North Dakota where the sun, well, it does shine a lot there, but it's winter a lot too. Um, yeah, I guess you have to have an independent attitude. When I moved to Brookings, I noticed it's more image conscious as a community, very image conscious, you know? And, and so my question to you is, are you driven by image? Have you heard another person with your words? If so, repent. It's wrong. Do you struggle with pride in your heart? Do you have jealousy or judgment or anger? Um, yesterday, I was walking with Vicky um, down by Main Street there, and I don't know if this guy did this on purpose, but it was annoying, so I'll share it with you. But he came in this big diesel truck, and I noticed about a block in front of us, he shifted over in the lane, so he was right by us, and we got right next to us, and he looked right at me. He just floored that thing, blew big back smoke, and I thought, what was that for? Why did you do that? Now, I said first hour, and I already, I already repented of this. That if I had something in my hand, I would have thrown it at him. I wouldn't have thrown it at him. I just thought that and thought, which is wrong. But I thought, why did you do that? And what's going on? And it's just, first of all, if, if I know you and you're in church today and you thought I was funny, you did something to let me know, then I'll laugh with you. But I didn't recognize this person and I didn't know what was going on. And it was just a kind of a weird moment. Things like that can get you angry, right? And, and you can have the wrong kind of thought. And um, you got to watch out because culture's full of Stuff like that, isn't it? That can make you angry. And maybe even righteously so. But that anger doesn't do you any good. So you just got to let it go and think, well, small boy, big truck, that's his problem. There I go, I'm angry again, aren't I? <laughs> so, so you do whatever you want to do with that. So if you have a big diesel truck, I'll pray for you. Do you struggle with lies? I have a truck, by the way, I like trucks. Do you, do you struggle with lies, slander, or gossip? Do you uh, have a cold heart to God and others? Oh, my goodness. If you have a cold heart to God and others, deal with that. Please deal with that. Let's read this forgiveness reading out loud together. It kind of goes with this section of the message. Would you read this out loud with me, please? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen and amen. I uh, like to work out, and I, I don't mind getting my hands dirty and doing some work like that, but I really, after doing all that, enjoy a hot shower. How about you? And sometimes I'll admit, I just kind of soak in there. I don't really need to be in it, but I just feel so good. When we come to... Uh, God, with a truly rent heart, when we're, when we're like Isaiah saying, whoa, to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. When we cry out for the mercy of God and the Holy Spirit comes into us and does that work of deep cleansing, it's like a hot shower of the soul, isn't it? And it's so good and it's so refreshing and it's so life-giving. When your world turns upside down and some things are revealed about your character that you've never seen before and the light of that situation now comes to, to you. Don't downplay it, amen? Let God do a transformative work in your heart. What I love about Christ is this deep cleansing that he does in us. 
I, I, I like the scripture uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, which is called the Beatitudes. And uh, uh, the one that comes to my mind today is, is verse 8, where it says, Blessed um, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, Christ comes into us, and he does this deep cleansing work, and he purifies us so we can look at God in the face, so to speak, one day. Unlike the seraphs who are covering their eyes and their faces because of the glory of God, because Christ lives in us, because he imparts to us purity, we're going to be able to see our God face to face, amen? Is that not cool or what? So this morning, we've seen from the example of Isaiah a little bit of how to get to here to there when it comes to having the correct attitude in Jesus Christ. When your world turns upside down, let it drive you to God. See a deeper revelation of who he is. When you're in that light of God and in that light of that revelation, chances are some things will be revealed about you. Don't downplay that. Don't downplay that. Instead, let God do a deep work in you of renewal and transformation. And then you're going to be ready for, and this is our last point, I'm going to take us to Isaiah 6, 8. We're going to be ready for one more thing, and that's this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, and I can just see Isaiah, here I am. Me, 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 right? You ever see the little kids do that? Send me, send me. See, when all is said and done, Isaiah's encounter with God led to a desire to serve him. When all is said and done for you and me, when our worlds change and we're upside down, we're driven to God, we see a deeper revelation of him, we have this deep transformative work take place in us, it should drive us to want to be deployed in service to God. Are you willing to be deployed for God then? That's my question for you to ponder as I finish this message. See, God's tools oftentimes are changing our world around drastically so that this receptivity to him doing something new in our life. So we see him differently. We have a new revelation to him. That light reveals some things in us that need to be addressed, but ultimately he wants us to be deployed in service for his kingdom. And that's how I'm going to lead the message this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the example of Isaiah. He does show us how to get from here to there. And look like you, Jesus, because you came to serve and not to be served. You served so much, you went to the cross and died a painful death for our sins there. And God, I think when we run into these circumstances that turn our world upside down, I, I, just, I, I think that they are your tool. And I pray that they drive us to rely on you more, to have a deeper revelation of you, to not downplay a sin or a, a, a place of character that needs to be tweaked and adjusted, Lord. And I, I know that ultimately what you're doing is you're preparing your people to be deployed, to be these catalytic points in culture, Lord, where we, we can just bring the grace of Jesus and the illumination of Jesus to bear on our culture. You want to deploy every single person in here in that regard. There are no spectators when it comes to your kingdom. We're all ministers, and we're all to be deployed for you, God. And I know that you use these events in life to create us and to make us receptive um, for that very calling, Lord. So open our hearts to this stuff, Lord, that we talked about today. Move us from here to there, and may uh, we give you glory, Jesus, in how we live and do our lives. And all God's people said, 
hey, we're on our way. We're, we're partway to our first pin on our map and are here to their journey here uh, this winter and spring.